What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the seventh episode of The Crossroads, a weekly financial show for our generation. And welcome to everybody listening from The Long Game. Um, welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about how to maximize our employee benefits. So we felt like this was a really relevant conversation to have, especially because most companies do November as employee benefits time. And one thing that I think, trading I mean, you speak for yourself, but one thing that I found is that most people don't really think about maximizing them. Like I, I've gone through with my friends and they're like, every year before this, all we do is click next, 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 next. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what health plan did you go with? Or, you know, do you have disability insurance? And they're like, huh? I don't really know. I kind of just picked all of the cheapest things. And if there's a choice to like not have to pay for it, then I picked to not have to pay for it. And I think this is like a big mistake that people make. I've actually never put this on like my mistakes list. But I think it's a massive mistake because when people look at their job, they view their compensation as salary. And so they say, hey, my salary is $62,000. I get paid $62,000. But that is really not true at all because a lot of your compensation comes from your benefits. And you know, I was even just helping my brother-in-law. He was switching jobs. He's going to get paid maybe 40% more in salary than his last job. Come to find, didn't really start to think through employee benefits time. And what the differences will be, he's going to make the exact same amount of money at this new job as his last job because of the increase in the pay of health insurance and all these other things that that's he previously crazy. had. And so I think that's a big reason of why it's really important, one, when you're navigating your new job to actually think through more than just salary, but also your benefits, but also why now going into every year, we need to think through how do we maximize our benefits, get the most out of what our employer is offering, but also not put ourselves in things that we don't really need. So you know, what do you have to add to that? Sorry, I didn't mean to like cut you off. <laughs> no, I think, no, that that's a perfect point. And that was going to be the first thing I said too, was like, your, your benefits are a part of your total compensation. So if you're not taking advantage of those, you're technically getting paid less than you should be because when you signed on, like everything that's included in that is wrapped up in your total compensation. Like you might not see it, like you might just kind of look at the salary, but you really have to understand that all of that stuff is tied into the same package. And I think like one of the biggest things that plays into maximizing your benefits is just like truly knowing what's available. Like you were saying before, like just kind of click through everything, like do the no cost or low cost options. But like, even, even if you're starting a new job, like we all know that you get all the paperwork and all the packets when you first get started and no one reads those. Like I definitely didn't when I got my first job coming out of college, but it's like, those are probably some of the most important documents you're going to be getting from your employer. So if you don't know where they are, or if you just kind of want to refresh her on like what's even available, like don't be afraid to reach out to the HR department. Like human mm -hmm. resources is there for a reason. And 
they are definitely more than happy to help answer questions and just kind of walk through all the packages. Like that's, that's really what their job is. So take advantage of that for sure. Yeah. It's funny how many people I sit down with and I say like, Hey, what are your company benefits? And they're like, I have no idea. I was like, well, okay, that's fine. I'll do the research for you. Send me your company benefits guide. And they're like, well, I don't think I have one. I'm, I'm pretty sure you definitely have a company benefits guide. So step one in understanding your company benefits is find the guide, look through it, talk with your financial advisor on it. Um, but let's get into some of the, the things to look for. And I think the best place always to start is on health insurance. Um, let's be real. We all hate insurance. We all especially hate health insurance, how expensive it is, how you know it doesn't really co- you know cover a whole lot. But I think a big point here and, and something that I see often is that people go into their health insurance and they pick the plan that has the lowest deductible often. Like, I, I think this is something that I've seen for most people in the first year I work with them is the health insurance plan they picked is the one that has the $2,000 deductible versus the $7,000 deductible. And for some people, it makes a lot of sense. So if you are going to spend a lot of money on healthcare on a yearly basis, you probably do want to pick the lower deductible there, there. I mean, you could really do the math and figure out like, Hey, at what number does the deductible have to be for you to kind of have that break even? But if you, even if you don't want to do that, you need to think through, okay, if I'm going to have a lot of healthcare costs, that low deductible might make sense. But for a lot of the people that I'm working with, they're young, they're healthy. They don't really go to the doctor that much. Like, to be honest, I, I've gone to the doctor like twice in the last two years, all telehealth appointments, all super cheap. And so like having a high deductible plan, I was never going to meet that low deductible anyways. And so a lot of times what makes sense is do that high deductible plan because a lot of times that's where the HSA comes with. And so if you pick that low deductible plan, you might be missing out on the HSA. And if we fast forward to next year and all of a sudden Roth conversions and backdoor Roths are gone, the HSA becomes even more powerful for these high income earners and something that they really need to think through. So I think health insurance is number one. Do you you have anything to add on health insurance? Um, Not really, but just to kind of add on to the HSA, which I'm sure you're going to get into, was kind of just like the triple tax advantage of it. Like if you if you have a low deductible insurance plan, you, you don't qualify for the HSA, like you have to have a high deductible plan. And the nice thing with an HSA is like, yeah, you might have to pay the higher deductible in a worst case scenario, but with an HSA, you you get the triple tax advantage. And what that is, is... When you contribute money, you get a you get a tax break on that, and then the money grows tax free. And then, if you need to use it for qualified medical expenses, you can withdraw it tax free. So that's kind of where the triple tax advantage comes from. And I mean, for young people, like that can that can add up over time. Like it doesn't just magically disappear the next year. And I mean that that offers tax benefits that. I mean, I don't think really any other account offers. So that kind of, that kind of plays into the health insurance as well. Yeah. I think that's a really big piece. And again, I think the one thing I always like to add here is you don't have to use your HSA this year. I think what many people do is they say, well, okay, now I had a thousand dollar expense. So, you know, let me pull that from my HSA. But really when you use the HSA that way, you're only truly getting two of those three tax benefits. You're not letting it invest and have that growth. And realistically in the future, you're going to have healthcare costs. So there's no reason if you can afford out of pocket those healthcare costs to take it out of the HSA when you can let it grow, be used in the future. And then again, if you don't use it till retirement, you can take that money out not for healthcare and just pay the tax on the growth. Or let's be real, you're going to have a ton of healthcare costs in retirement. It's like the number two expense for people. Um, so that's a big one. I think another one to look at is disability insurance. 
So I think that like, if you go external for disability insurance, let's say you make $100,000 to cover about $100,000 of income is going to cost you a lot. But your company a lot of times gives you a short term disability and a long term disability policy. Sometimes it's paid for by them. Sometimes it's paid for by you. The way that it's paid ultimately affects the way that it's taxed. So if the employer pays and then you get the benefit, then you're taxed. If you pay, then when you get the benefit, you aren't taxed. Not that that's super important, but at the end of the day, Social Security says you have a 33% chance of having a disability that puts you out of work throughout your working career. Those odds are really high. Like that is a really high chance that that happens to you. So paying the, you know, the $30 extra a month have short-term and long-term disability through your employer, sometimes even less, maybe even free if they cover it, is something that I would definitely tell people that they should look into. A hundred percent. And kind of on a different little tangent, something that just popped in my head that's not even like a main company benefit is things like reimbursement for gym memberships or just like little things like that. Like, yeah, that's not a significant amount, but if you're paying $70 for a gym membership for your family, but your company would reimburse that if you just told them about it, like that's a thousand dollars a year just by being aware of that. I guess it's not a deduction, just like that reimbursement. And a lot of companies are offering a lot more things like that. Um, as they're trying to like retain employees and become more attractive to new hires. Like those are just like little benefits that never really get mentioned in any personal finance context. Like they kind of just focuses, which the main ones are important. Like the 401k, the HSA, the insurance is like definitely pay attention to those, but like the small things, those matter as well. Yeah. And that's just something to like, to know that might not be something you lucked into, but like here at Eli Lilly, there's like 80% of the gyms in the area, they get a free membership towards. And so all you have to do is go sign up and, and do it. There's also other companies, things to be aware of is that like, if you get a physical every year and show good health, or if you go to the gym and prove you went X number of times that they actually contribute to your HSA, or they give you money for having a good health record because you probably use less on insurance. So there's a lot of these really small things just to be aware and mindful of. Um, the next thing that I think that I would add is you can change your 401k contributions anytime throughout the year. But let's be real. Most people are not checking their 401k often to make any changes to it at all. And, and that's fair. Like, I don't really necessarily expect people to do that all the time. So use company benefits time as your time to go into your 401k. Is Did it get invested properly? Could you move up the percentage higher? Should you switch to Roth versus staying in the traditional 401k? Some companies even have it where if you're salaried plus commission, you can add that you have a higher election on commission. So maybe, hey, my commission, I want to do traditional because they take out a lot of taxes, which again, you're not really taxed more, but we'll get into that at a different period. But those are things to look into around company benefits time as well. Yeah, I think you made a really good point with like making or just at least checking to see how it's being invested because I mean, I experienced this firsthand. It was actually insane that when I left my last job, um, I I was either going to roll over my 401k or just cash it out and take the money and do what I wanted with it. But when I logged in, I hadn't logged in in the two years I worked there. I was in a 60-40 portfolio at 22 years old and- For those who don't know, like 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And the general calculation is like 110 minus your age 
is what you should be invested in stocks. So I should have been at least 90% stocks at that time, probably 100% just because I have a pretty high risk tolerance in general, but that was just insane. And that kind of just stunted the growth of of that account. Like if I had worked there for another 10, 15 years and never checked it, like I could have been missing out on hundreds of thousands, if not maybe millions of dollars just because of how it was invested. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the other part too to look into here is fees. So I was just working with a client last week on like a one-off relationship and we went into his 401k. He's never picked anything. He's at a smaller company. Well, it's actually a SEP, Um, but he just put it just as like, okay, I'll elect to put, you know, 6% in because that's the match. Come to find out that the mutual fund they put him in has a 5.75% front load fee and then a 0.9% or no, it's actually a 1% annual fee. So for no management, for nothing, just putting his money into this account, every time he buys, he pays 5.75% and then he has 1% broken up quarterly. And so he's paying 0.25% there for nothing. And so that's something like use this time to also become aware of those type of things. Cause you know, you can pick a target date fund, but as a target date fund is going to be 10 times more expensive than picking a couple other index funds in there. It might not be really in your best interest to do that. Um, do you have anything else to add here, company benefits wise? Any other things to look out for? Like, I, I feel like those are at least the top ones. Um, do you have anything else? Um, the only thing I really wanted to add was an interesting stat that I found. Um, it says, according to recent research, up to 75% of employees are not taking advantage of uh, employer 401k matches. And that's, that was honestly kind of shocking. Like I knew it wouldn't be like a hundred percent of people do it, but like that's free money. And if, if you have any leftover money to invest and you work at a company, like the first place it should probably go is towards the 401k, get the match. And then once you've kind of hit that threshold, like maybe you decide to invest elsewhere, but like taking advantage of that match is free money and it really needs to be taken advantage of. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I guess I thought of one other thing is sometimes with your employers, you have ESPP plans or you have, you know, like the buy three, get one stock free, Um, you know, use employee benefits time when you're already going to start to look at it. I know that the enrollment period might be different than the, uh, the benefits time, but become aware and start to think through, like, does it make sense for you to take part in these plans? If so, you know, then start to think through them when I get them and they vest, am I going to sell or what do I do? Um, and then the other thing is look at your 401k vesting period too, because I think that's a big piece that sometimes people don't look through is your 401k might vest after five years. Like that's a really long time period. But if you're somebody that like, Hey, I'm going to be here for six months and then I'm going to leave. Well, it might make sense for you to not contribute to your 401k, use a Roth IRA or some other tool. If you know that you're going to leave before the match or anything else is actually going to be given to you. For sure. And I guess another small thing to add was the last place I worked at, you didn't even have to contribute to the 401k for them to contribute to it. And I thought that was really cool. Like, I don't think a lot of companies do that, but that could be another thing. Like you might have a 401k and not even know about it. So like, again, kind of just like in this season, like reach out to HR, just kind of see what's going on, see, get an overview of your benefits and everything that you or maybe missing out on and everything that you are a part of, like get your 401k statements, get everything like that taken care of here at the end of the year. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's sometimes, honestly, people can get screwed from their 401k plans and what they offer. Like I have friends and people I work with where they get 0%. And then I have some other clients that have a 6% match and then a 10% on top of that, whether you put any in. So they end up giving you, like, I just looked through one of my clients and he's put in like 16,000 and his employers put 35,000 in. Like. Think about the difference that is compared to somebody else who really doesn't get any of that. So like, that's why looking at your benefits are, is extremely important when you go and do it. And another great example is like, so then Eli Lilly here, I know I have clients who work there, they pay $200 a month for their health insurance. And then I have clients who have very similar health insurance that are paying $1,800 a month through their employer. So the difference is massive. And so it's really something that you want to check out. Um, that was all I really wanted to add there. So let's get into the reader submitted question. And this one is what are some exercises to help teach kids about money? Um, you want to start or do you want me to? Um, I can start with it. I don't necessarily have like any super specific exercises. Like I just kind of remember what worked for me as a kid, like what my parents did. And I think like the biggest, like at least concept to teach them is opportunity cost. And there's so many opportunities to do that throughout day-to-day life. And like going to the store is a perfect example. Like everyone has had their kid, like come up to the cash register at the last second, say like, I want this piece of candy, whatever you can be like, well, if, if we get this, then you don't get to go to the pool with your friends later or just things like that. Like showing them if you get this, you can't have this. And I think that's just a super important lesson. And I, cause like I played video games a lot growing up and just about every single time I would get $20, I would go buy a new Xbox game because they were all 1999. Mm-hmm. And every time I would do that, my mom or dad would be like, Oh, well, if you get this, then you're not going to be able to do these several other things that I wanted to do. I'm like, I, I understand. Like, I just, I just want this video game, but like, I, I contextualize, like it made sense to me that, okay, I, I get this, I'm going to have to give up this. And that's just an important lesson throughout all of life. Like that helps you reduce or helps you like at least budget better. Like, okay, if I go out to eat 10 times a month, I can't do this. And if I do, then I'm going to be in debt because I have to put it on a credit card, do whatever. So I think that's one good exercise for it. Yeah. I think that teaches opportunity cost, but it also teaches delayed gratification because in this example, you probably most of the time picked the instant gratification thing, which every kid does. Like, let's be real. That's not, that's not a saying that you did anything wrong, but like, I think also a lot of what we try to parents try to teach kids is like opportunity cost. But also if you pick this, you're happy now, but then you don't get to do maybe something that's would make you happier in the long run. Um, so another exercise that my parents did that I know a bunch of other parents did too, is they would give us, um, an allowance based on our age. So this started when we were like six. And so what they would say is we're going to give you four, we're going to tithe one and we're going to save one. So that way, no matter what, whenever, whatever money you're getting $6, which now 10% doesn't really work out, but you're going to save 10 at a minimum and you're going to give away 10 at a minimum because you have money, you should be helping other people. And so I thought that was a really great lesson. So when we were 10, we got $8, one tithe, 
one to savings, which helped us build up the savings. And then that other money we could choose, you know, hold on into cash, add the savings to wait for a bigger purchase. But then when we went to stores, my parents didn't just buy things for us. Like, I'm not saying my parents didn't get us stuff. They definitely got us plenty of stuff. But, you know, we're at Toys R Us and they're like, you know, hey, I got $50. And my parents are like, okay, yeah, if you want that $20 toy, you can pay for it. But no, like, hey, you wanted to buy this $50 Xbox game that's going to come out. You're not going to be able to buy it for another four weeks. And so they, what they did there is they taught us save, they taught us give away money, but they also taught us opportunity costs. They taught us delayed gratification, and then also how to make decisions for yourself and live with them. And so I think the big piece they did there is then they wouldn't just go buy us that next thing because we complained. Well, hey, you spent the money. That was your choice. Now that you can't get something else you want, you either learn the lesson or you're going to continue to repeat that same mistake. And I think that that's really powerful because I think a lot of parents and I'm not a parent, so I'm not like not like bringing any parents down, but a lot of parents say they're not going to give in and then they just get sick of complaining and then they just give in. And so then the kids always win and they never really learn the lesson. And I totally get how hard that's going to be. Like, I can't say no to my nieces and nephews at (laughs) all either, but I think that there still has to be kind of that lesson taught. Um, So yeah, do you, do you have any other games or ones that you can think of? No, I was going to just kind of add to that and say like, it, truly like starts with conversations like the more you involve kids like they don't necessarily have to know like all the financial details of the family like maybe so like that would be kind of cool but like just having conversations with them around money a little bit like you don't have to be like a financial educator or anything but if there's like certain small things that come up where you could teach them one of those principles or lessons just anything like that like don't don't necessarily make it feel like something that needs to be covered and never really talked about because like the more you talk about it with them the more the better of a relationship they're going to have with it as they go through their adult life and that's just going to become so important later on and the the last thing I wanted to add to it was I I've seen a lot of people recently talking about the green light debit card um we are definitely not sponsored by Greenlight. If Greenlight, you are watching this, like sponsor us, <laughs> sponsor us like that'd be sweet. Um, but it's basically just like just like a modern day version of an allowance. Like you you can download the Greenlight app. Um, the kids get kind of like a fake debit card sort of thing. Like you can still swipe it, like buy things online with it, but it's not really tied to a bank account. It's just tied to the green light account that you set up. So like maybe you put $50 in there for a month and you set it up. So it like deposits $25 into their account every week for an allowance. And then what I think is really cool is you can set up rules kind of like a Gmail inbox and they're like every time 25 comes in, $5 goes to their savings account, $5 goes towards their tax account and just like things like that. And they can see the balance on there. Like they can see, oh, I only have $13 left to spend until I get paid next. And they can also set goals in there. So like if they wanted to save for a Fortnite skin or an NFT or something like they can set up like how much that thing costs and see like how close they are to that goal. They can transfer money from their saving or from their checking to their savings if they want to reach it quicker. And I just, I think that's like one of the best tools I've seen for like truly getting them involved in personal finance and learning how money works in the real world. Cause it's, 
actually super similar to how getting a paycheck is and how managing yeah. your Schwab or Bank of America bank account is like it's it's really the exact same. So I think I think a lot of parents should use that. There's I think there's like four million people already on it. It has oh. like four point nine stars. So I don't have any personal experience with it. So I'm not just yeah. saying to go download it. It's perfect, but could be something to look into. Yeah. A couple other things I'm going to add here. One is maybe invest with your kids. Like I know Justin Caselli, who I used to work with, it's like, Hey, at the start of the year or whatever, me Christmas, I'm gonna give you a hundred bucks and we're going to invest into a few companies that you really support and believe in that can help them get you interested in investing at a young age. So I think that's a good one. Another good one is I've heard of parents that do like matches of like, Hey, for, you know, you got $500 for your birthday for every dollar that you still have of that by next birthday, I will like give you 50% match on that money to teach them like long-term savings and that kind of stuff. And then the last one I would add for parents is that kids learn through your actions. So it's great to teach them these tools. It's great to do all these things. But at the end of the day, if you want your kids to be good at money, be good at money yourself. They're going to see you save. They're going to see you, you know, not have to buy the most expensive things at every single second, whenever you want them. Like if you want them to understand delayed gratification, we'll show them delayed gratification as well. Um, and I think always the best way is just show good actions, lead by example, and let your kids learn from you that way. Um, anything else you want to add before we close? That's all I got. I think that was right. solid. Yeah, perfect. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening again. Um, We've just really excited about building this podcast and this weekly series. So we really appreciate you like subscribe, watch the whole YouTube video and leave us a comment. We're trying to get growing on there. So thanks to you guys. See you guys next week.